when it comes to things that have harmed us in our lives and in the past and along our trail, we need to be willing to forgive and we need to be willing to let go and let things kind of, you know, work out on their own. You know, and that's kind of my overall thought about this social media too. I'm, I'm not quite, you know, feel the dreams, build it and they will come. But yet I don't push too hard. I think we need to let things forgive and let things naturally take place as, as they will. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining us today is our special guest co-host. It is Melissa Wilson. Hey, Melissa. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Melissa, real quick, let's talk about what you're up to. Tell everybody about your site and kind of what you've been working on. Oh, sure. Thanks. So I have the grassgetsgreener.com, which is a site for survivors of childhood bullying. And I've gone and created uh, the Grass Gets Greener podcast, where I'm talking to survivors of different types of traumatic experiences to uh, share their stories and, you know, hopefully inspire others who are going through tough times and struggling with things. We're thrilled to have you, Melissa. Thank you for being on today. And our, of course, our co-host, our official co-host is Kamanzi Constable. Aloha, Kamanzi. Why were you laughing when you said that? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was just thinking, I was like, what Melissa just described is like, you're a survivor of crazy stuff, Kamanzi. So it's like, I I feel like maybe you can relate to Melissa on some uh, I I think a lot of people probably can relate. That's why I'm excited to talk to her. I'm excited to talk to Dan. And I'm always happy to talk to you. Yeah, there's no point in delaying this. We need to talk to Dan. So our guest today is, of course, Dan Erickson. He is an author and a minimalist helping others find happiness and productivity by keeping it simple. You can learn more about Dan by going to hipdigs.com. That's hipdigs.com. Welcome, Dan. Hi. Glad to be here. Jared, how are you? Oh, man, it's fantastic to have you on. And uh, one question that we ask everybody, and you may know this is coming, what is the best concert that you have ever been to? Ooh, the best concert I've ever been to. Wow. I'd have to say it was Neil Young Acoustic in the, the Opera House in Spokane, Washington. Wow. Yeah, just Neil I've Young. I've heard good things about Spokane. <laughs> I bet that was awesome. Yeah. Do you happen to like any female artists? <laughs> I do like some female artists, yeah. Here we go. <laughs> let's, let's come on. Kamanzi has a favorite artist. That's what I was just wondering. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I know who Kamanzi's favorite artist is. If you had to guess. Uh, if I had to guess, who, who is it? Oh, what's her name? Um, um, oh, I can't think of her name. Uh-oh, we may get through does, the episode without, Guinness, without a name drop. Does Guinness Book of World Records have like a record for this? Like most consecutive <laughs> mentions on a podcast. Well, we're we're gonna try to break it, but okay, we'll we'll let Dan off the hook on that one. <laughs> but yeah, that is that sounds like a good concert. And uh, I, and for the record, I think Melissa is a Taylor Swift fan. So, all right, <laughs> I've never said that. No, I've never said. That. <laughs> okay, Taylor isn't okay. Taylor would be sad to hear that, Melissa. All right, so Melissa, would you uh, kick us off? Sure, Dan. So you've written a book, A Train Called Forgiveness, based on your own experience of being a child victim of a cult. Would you tell us a little bit about your childhood experience and how it led to you writing a book? Sure. It's a long story, but I'm going to have to give you the abbreviated version. When I was a kid, my dad was a preacher, actually, and then he started getting involved with some slightly off-center groups. And one we got involved with was um, we were back on the East Coast. He met a man back there who was starting a group out here in Washington State. 
And so we got involved with that, and we moved over. Our whole family moved across the country to be there when I was 10 years old. And I didn't know what it was going to be, but it basically wound up being a group of about 100 to 150 people that were all working to live together and create a place, a commune, basically, with the emphasis of surviving the end of the world kind of scenario. And so, but what it wound up being was more of a, like the leader of the cult created a large business, well, multiple businesses under one non-corporate umbrella and non-profit umbrella. And it was uh, quite the experience. I was basically a slave boy, you might say. I worked 12 to 14 hours a day um, in the summer. During the school year, I worked about two, three hours before school and three or four hours after school. And um, I, I lived on the premise with a group of other young men and boys, not my family. They actually lived off the grounds. And um, I was there for, I lived there permanently for two years. And I was in that group for a total of six years, my family. So it, it was quite the experience. Dan, I uh, grew up in a church that was, it was a church, it was a Baptist church, but it was it was a pretty strict church, fundamental Baptist church. We weren't allowed to date. We weren't allowed to listen to music. We didn't watch TV for five years. Boys had to wear pants. Girls had to wear dresses. So I wouldn't say that that was a cult per se, but there is a, a line between a cult and a church like that that goes pretty legalistic. How would you know, like what would be some warning signs that, hey, this might be a cult or it's getting cultish. And what would be like some red flags? Well, I think when it's non-denominational, that's a red flag. And even when it's denominational, I think there can be some problems um, with extreme, you know, conservative type groups or not necessarily conservative, but, you know, where there's extreme control. One leader with a kind of a, you know, dictator or Strict control is another sign. If the leader doesn't have to answer to anybody else and he's abusing his authority, that would be a sign. You know, the fact that, like in your case, not being allowed certain connections to the outside world via media, via other social institutions, that would be a sign. You know, it is a there is a fine line what someone might call a cult and what someone might not call a cult. Dan, you've written some books, a cult trilogy series, and I have have seen that. What was your motivation for writing that? And do you think your books have the potential to help others who've been in that same circumstance? The motivation, you know, it's interesting. I was always interested in writing about my experience as a kid in a cult. And the interest was at first, it was for therapeutical, you know, self-therapy, so to speak. And it wasn't until my father died back in 2010, and for some reason after he passed away, I was able to write it with ease. I had worked on it for several years before then, and it never came out the way I'd like it. And so, yes, I think it could help people, but I don't think it is limited to helping people who have been in cults. I think it can help anyone who has been hurt in life, whether it be through any kind of relationship, whether it be someone who's been hurt by someone with an addiction problem or someone who was abusive, I think it can help with any of those things because the message is forgiveness. The message isn't the cult. It's the young man looking back at his life in a cult and learning how to forgive the people who hurt him. 
And so people have already said it has helped them. You know, I've, I've not sold a whole lot of copies, but I've had some feedback of people saying, look, this really helped me get back into my past and think about some of the people I need to forgive. Dan, you've experienced tragedy, and uh, in addition to some of the things you've described, you've lost a child at birth. Uh, so you, you know what it's like to go through those difficult seasons. What advice do you have for others who are dealing with hard life experiences? Wow, that's a hard question. You know, I think you've got to, and this is easier said in retrospect than at the time, but I, I think two things. You've got to allow time for healing. I think a lot of people when they're either hurt or they go through tragic circumstances, they try to escape it, so to speak, without dealing with it. So I think you need to allow time for healing. And I think true healing comes by dealing with it, by writing about it, by revisiting the situation. That's one. And, and then the other thing is I think you have to let go. I think, you know, when you've dealt with tragedy, you can't do anything about it. So you have to let go of any preconceived ideas of how you're going to deal with that. Hey, Dan, so your blog, and I know you have hip digs right now, right? And you also still have danerickson.net, right? Yes. And you kind of have a bit of everything on there from like songs and poems to posts about speaking, blogging, writing, minimalism. What would you say is sort of your purpose with that? And, and what is your underlying goal for your blog? You know, the danerickson.net, that was an experiment from the very beginning. In fact, the book, A Train Called Forgiveness, was originally written on the blog, and people could read it live as I was writing it. And then I went to mostly blogging about writing. You know, I have too many interests. And so what I've done is I've made that blog just kind of more my artistic blog. You know, songs, poetry, some things about writing. And that's why I started Hip Digs, because I also have an interest in minimalism. I also, and I don't know how long I'm going to run these other two, I have Simple Writer and Simple Blogger. They're S-I-M-P-L-W-R-T-R, writer.com. And that one's about writing. And then blog, Simple Blogger is about blogging. I split those up because I felt Dan Erickson was so wide-scoped. So I figured I wanted to have some blogs with a niche. So right now... The focus of Dan Erickson is more just a place to present my artistic work and my kind of my deepest thoughts and feelings about writing and life. And Hip Diggs is on minimalism. And those are the two I'm focusing on the most. Hey, Dan, I think Melissa just bought simplepodcaster.com. Can you still forgive her? <laughs> Fine, because I don't, know, I don't know about the time or energy to... <laughs> I did a little bit of uh, audio blogging, but never have done podcasting yet. Oh, uh, we like audio blogging. Yes, we do. Melissa, do you podcast? I do, yeah. I started about six months ago. Tell us about your podcast. Do we talk about that? Yeah, I did mention it a little bit at the beginning, yeah. Where it's, can people uh, find out more about it? It's The Grass Gets Greener, and people can you know, find it in iTunes or Stitcher or, of course, on my website at thegrassgetsgreener.com. Have you had Dan on the show? <laughs> well, <laughs> I haven't because we've actually we've been waiting uh, to do this one. So yeah, this is my fault. <laughs> can you get that knife out of my back? Come on. Z. Well, no, now we've made a connection. Now they can hook up. So there you go. You set that up for you, Dan. All right. See, Dan, that, that felt like a cult like experience. Like, come on. Just kind of took over. I'm just kidding. So, so Dan, you have a lot of things going on. You're, I know you're a single parent. 
you're doing all this writing, you're singing. What does productivity look like for you? What does, and I know there's not going to be a typical day, but what does your day look like? What projects are you working on? What's coming up? Just, we want everything, Dan, we can get right now. All right. You know, I don't have, I'm not one to keep a, a regular schedule in regard to productivity because I am a single parent and I'd have a full-time job as a college instructor. And so I kind of have to do it when the fire's hot, when I feel the, the inspiration. And so I may have some days where, I, where I'm writing for three or four hours solid, either writing posts to post out in advance, working on a book, working on some, a music project. And then I may have periods of time where I kind of turn the focus back toward life, you know, taking care of my daughter, paying more attention to her, doing the yard work as a homeowner. So there's no set time and schedule, so to speak. But I make long-term goals is more what I do. So, for instance, I made a goal that I would run these four blogs that I have right now at least through the year, at posting at least once a week on each of them. I have a goal to complete the third book of the cult trilogy. I just talked to the editor yesterday. He's taken a little longer editing this one than he did the other two, but it should be done in another week or two. And then I'll do the final rewrite, and hopefully that'll be out by this summer. I'm getting started on another book. It's in the beginning process. And I try to do one or two music projects a year where I do anywhere from five to ten songs and record them in a demo style. I don't have a high-end recording studio or anything. So it's, you know, like I say, it's kind of project-based. That's the way I look at productivity is to make it project-based. I want to complete certain projects by a certain date. You know? And I'm flexible on that date, too, because I think if we give ourselves a specific deadline, we can set ourselves up for failure. Because then when that deadline gets close and we feel like we're not ready, we might give up. So I say, you know, sometime this year I will complete this book. Or sometime in the spring of 2016 I will complete this music project. So that's kind of how I work on a project basis rather than a regular daily basis. You know, Kamanzi, you, you, when you were going through your weight loss, like you were so strict on yourself and then you had like those seasons where you, you know, you kind of fell off the wagon. It sounds like what Dan is explaining is kind of the pivot that you had when you, you started being healthier, right? You just allowed yourself to be a little more flexible or what was that like? Yeah, I think for each of us, we have to figure out what works for us. So there's some people like I'll give my brother, for example, he's very detail oriented. He has to have those goals. He has to have the deadlines. He has to see it all written down, like laid out completely. Whereas I'm more of what Dan is describing. I have an overall goal. I know how I'm going to get there, but I don't want to be that strict. Same thing with writing, business or anything else. I have to keep it a little bit more fluid as Dan is describing. Because if I start writing it down and setting those goals and this and that, I'm just going to crash and burn. So I think each of us has to figure out, okay, what works for me? What works for my personality? And then honestly, just testing and trying. I know Dan has tried quite a few things in the online space, haven't you, Dan? Well, you know, blogging, mainly blogging and, and working on books, working and teaching some online. And you had talked about music. Melissa and Dan, I don't know if you know, but I've seen and heard Jared singing and playing a few times. <laughs> I think uh, I want to go to a Dan Erickson Unplugged concert. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, the music, yeah, I've done that online too, some, you know, just through my blog. That's pretty cool. I like that, Dan. Dan, I want to ask you a real quick follow up. So you have the goal in mind, but you're not so strict that you can't, you know, live a little bit, have some breathing room. So how do you measure progress toward your goals? Progress toward the goals. That's a hard question. I don't know if I do measure the progress as much as I just anticipate a completion. So, for instance, you know, I, I had a goal to write a book within a year, a train called Forgiveness, the first book, and mm-hmm. I actually completed it in nine months. And then I noticed that it would lend itself to a trilogy. So the goal for the trilogy was to complete it in three to four years. So the second book came out in the second year. We're now into the fourth year. So the third book needs to come out this year. And so I, I you know, I tend to not do a lot of written down goals. I tend to keep goals in my head more than write them down and be, be as specific as some people are with them. So I measure the progress just by, I guess, seeing where I'm at, by watching what I'm doing. Melissa, where do you fall in all of this? Yeah, so for me, like, I definitely need to have pretty strict goals and deadlines. And I mean, like you said, though, Kamanzi, like, I think everybody has to find out what works for them, because I've certainly played around with not really having much of a structure either. But I find that that just doesn't work very well for me. So right now, yeah, I just I focus on setting goals and trying to stick with deadlines. Dan, I would jump in and just say, I think that your perspective is could be considered a refreshing perspective to productivity, because there are a lot of people that say it's got to be, you know, ABC. So it's kind of nice to hear that you can be productive and reach goals, but not be so uh, strict on that. Yeah, I think actually there's something to that. I think that when we are willing to let go a little bit on how strict we are, we free ourselves up to do more. It's kind of that minimalist ideology. You let yourself go a little bit and not worry about things as much, and you give yourself more time and freedom to accomplish what you'd like to accomplish. Kind of sounds a little bit of a dichotomy, but I think it works. All right. So, Dan, on one of your sites, we're going to transition a little bit here. So, on one of your sites, you describe yourself as being broken yet whole. Would you be willing to explain what that means? Ooh, broken yet whole. Where do I describe myself as that? Oh, I think it's on my main Dan Erickson site. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, broken in that we're – every one of us is broken, you know, in in a way. We're human, right? Um, I don't know what people's religious or theological beliefs are, but we're human and – We've all either done things that make us broken or things that have happened to us along the way that have made us broken. But at the same time, when we accept that brokenness, we become whole in, as an individual, as who we are. Does that make sense? And then, you know, if, if you believe in the Christian faith, you know, we're, we're whole through the, the blood of Christ, too. Yeah, Jared and I just did. A, I don't know if you heard it, Dan, but Jared and I just did an episode on our faith. So we're right there with you. All right. Good to hear. Hey, Dan. So let's get back to something that we were touching on a little bit earlier, and that is this idea of forgiveness. Do you find that it's necessary to forgive someone who's hurt you in your past in order to move on and be successful in life? You know, I can only speak for myself, but from my point of view, I would say absolutely. Because if we're harboring resentment and we're angry and we have 
hate and negative feelings that we're holding inside. And as long as we have those kinds of feelings inside, it's going to impact who we are and what we accomplish. So I personally believe that if we have, if someone has hurt us, you know, and the greater the hurt, I think the more important it is. If someone has hurt us fairly, you know, largely in life, I think you need to let go. And I don't think, you know, one problem about forgiveness is I think too often we hear people say, well, you just say, I'm sorry, and I forgive you and everything's okay. But it's not always that easy. Sometimes we can't even see the person or, again that we need to forgive. They may never be in our life again. And so, and sometimes if the, what's been done against us is major, it's not a one-time thing. You can't just say, okay, I let it go. It's not that simple. It's, it's actually a daily thing. You have to continue to forgive the other person every day. You know, it just, it's a process. It's not an overnight, just a one, I forgive you, uh, one step. There's a continual process. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on my show, I mean, we talk about forgiveness a lot. And, you know, people will often describe it as being, you know, something they have to do for themselves, not for the other person. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. It is for yourself. As long as you don't forgive the other person, they have a power over you. And when you do forgive someone else, they hold no power over you. And then therefore, you've essentially been freed. So yeah, yeah it's, it's for yourself. Definitely. I have a confession. I actually struggle with this. And I always thought I was like someone that was easy to get along with and someone that was just a people person. But there are certain types of personalities that I've run into and I've had you know experiences like anyone else. And I've realized recently that when certain names come up or certain individuals I've had those experiences with, I just think, ugh, you know, and, and then I'll notice in public somebody brings their name up and my mind will be like, ugh, and then, you know, I find like I'm not saying nice things about those person. I'm not being necessarily mean, but, and I'm realizing, you know, I don't, I haven't really forgiven this person. And I'm thinking, you know, that's an issue that I need to work through. Yeah. It's not easy. It's, it's not easy. That's for sure. But I've never, I never realized I had that issue until like, you know, in the last year yeah, or so. And it happens kind to of. all of us. I mean, I don't think anybody is, has perfected forgiveness. You know, we all, even when you have forgiven someone, I think there's still going to be some negative feelings. You know, it's just you have to continually renew that forgiveness. Dan, what's your policy on, we're going to talk about social media for a second. What's your policy on like unfriending people or unfollowing people? Do you have a thought on you that? You know, I've never really done it other than the, the only people I unfollow. I'm, I'm pretty flexible. I have, you know, I, I'm fairly liberal in my, uh, some of my political beliefs. And, and I have some people when I post something that's a little more on the liberal side, some, some people that are on the conservative side that will just call me names and call other people on my thread names you know, and then people will go at it. It doesn't get me riled up. I don't care. Mm. To me, it's okay as, as long as you're not hurting one another. Honestly, the only time I've unfriended people is if they're advertising. If they, <laughs> they use my Oops. page to advertise a product, especially if it's a product I would absolutely not advertise myself, then they're gone. That's the only time. One time I did unfriend a, uh, actually a good friend in real life. He was actually in that cult group with me when we were kids, and we were having these theological debates, and I just couldn't take it oh. anymore. It was going on too far, and I just I unfriended him, and we since have refriended. But other than and, that, it's the only time I've I've really unfriended anybody other than for advertising. 
And the listeners should know that Dan has gotten sucked into some of my Jared always tells me he's like, don't post the political stuff. And I know that I shouldn't, but sometimes it gets the better of me and I'll post it. And Dan's been drawn into some of my crazier conversations on my thread. Yeah, I think they're, you know, I think they're fun. And I think they're things we need to um, discuss. The danger <laughs> is if we're, you know, for entrepreneurs and people who are trying to promote themselves and promote their business, if we post too much of that political based we may lose half of our audience. You know, yeah, that's, yeah. say, absolutely. Well, he's just a conservative or he's just a liberal or he's, you know, she's this. And therefore, we may lose half of our audience. So I've actually made a point in the last six months to a year. I'm, I'm posting much less of that, but I still do once in a while. Melissa, on a Sunday and Monday, I pretty much lost both of those days because I had posted a Tony Robbins quote from his new book, A Master in the Money Game. And it was just a quote about unemployment and stuff like that. And by the time it was done, after like Monday, that thread had 959 comments. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, it sucked up too much of my day. And Jared, who's encourager, he said, you should try to get it to 2000. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> like, I, really, I was saying, dude, you know, let it go. But yeah, you don't do that. No. So it's all Lesson good. learned. Anyway. What about you, Melissa? Do you have an opinion on the unfriending and unfollowing stuff? I don't know. I haven't really run into a situation where I've needed to do that. So I don't know. I try to keep the peace with everybody. <laughs> what about you, Jared? What is your policy? I do unfriend people and I do unfollow people and sometimes I shouldn't do that. So I need forgiveness too. So it's typically like Dan said, it's like somebody who's over, uh, you know, advertising. And then there's uh, just negative experiences where people are, I feel like they're manipulating a situation involving me that I don't really feel good about. And I've kind of made an effort to address it and then it kind of goes further than it should. And there's been times when I've had to do that. And I think those are reasonable boundaries that I've set up. So I don't feel bad about those, but there's been times too where I've just been frustrated with somebody and I haven't done the right thing. I haven't tried to seek forgiveness or try to understand them. And I, you know, unfollowed or unfriended and that's something I'm hoping to improve on. I think I've unfriended three people. One of them was just crazy. She told me she was going to hire a private investigator to follow me everywhere here in Maui. <laughs> <laughs> so she had to go. Another one just really loved to talk down to people made them feel like they're really small. So that dude had to go. And then one was yesterday and it was a person who ended up hurting a friend of Jared and I, our mutual friend, just really, it was not a nice situation at all. And I said, I just can't have that in my life. Well, I had, I blocked the lady because she was tagging herself in my daughter's pictures. And Dan, you're a parent. I mean, that's just weird, right? Like, why would you do that? I don't know. You know, every once in a while I've, I've accidentally tagged some, you know, myself in somebody's picture yeah that's an okay that's an but, accident but, you know yeah. that only happens when you're on an iphone and usually you can keep it from happening but i know once or twice I'm like oops i just tagged myself in someone's <laughs> picture <laughs> hey here's a question do you guys do you friend just anyone like say, you know on facebook for instance or do you sort of screen people let's start with dan you know i kind of a combination if people request to make a friend request i almost always accept i will look every once in a while i can tell when it's kind of a bogus account and so i won't accept 
but most generally I'll accept. And it's, those are usually the ones that have wound up being the people who post ads on my page, though. So, <laughs> See, so I, I think that's the problem then. <laughs> you so, have to be so more I'm, careful. Yeah. I'm more careful. Now, when I make friend requests, I tend to request – I will re- make friend requests to people I don't, I've never met or don't know, but they're usually – they have a shared interest, whether it be writing, music, minimalism – entrepreneurship there's some kind of shared interest and often a similar you know we know some of the same people so some similar contacts and and that so yeah i do look a little bit but i'm not real picky what about you Kamaji? i will uh same thing with dan i'll pretty much accept a friend request from anybody as long as they're not a spammer i'll look to make sure they have at least a few friends if they have like 10 friends or something like that you know then i know it's going to go something's going on or if it's uh there's a sleazy picture of a woman or something like that, you know, that I'll just delete. But if it's just somebody, they have friends, they look legitimate. Like I got a lot of these from this last article that I wrote. I had a lot of people that had read it on the Huffington Post and wanted to friend me. And as soon as I accepted their friend request, they said, hey, you know, this is going on in my life. Thank you for writing this. This helped me. Okay, that's cool. As far as sending friend requests, I don't, I haven't sent any in a while. I'm going to send a friend request to Melissa. <laughs> yeah, we have to, we have to be yeah, careful on there. But I usually will look for recommendations from friends. So like every now and then I'll go on my profile and say, hey, who is somebody cool that I should connect with? And people suggest cool people. And if it's, you know, friends suggest somebody cool, I want to be friends with them. So usually that's how I'll determine who I'm going to be friends with. And I'm not going on there and friending any big names or anything like that or blah, blah, blah. Like I did friend request Pat Flynn, but Jared will verify he's a cool dude. So not too much friend request going on that way at my end. Oh, that's nice to know you, your friend Pat Flynn and your friend Melissa Wilson. That's yeah. good. Right. Jared? I, I want to bring this up. Okay, we're building platforms with blogs and writing and podcasting and different things. So when you get a friend request, it's almost like, yes, my message is being heard. Has anybody else felt that way? I know I have. Yeah, I have. In fact, sometimes... I'll get a friend request from someone, and as soon as I accept their request, they may mention I read an article or I saw something you did on one of your blogs. So, yeah, I I feel the same way. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. I just love, even though I'm an introvert, I'm a high-function introvert, so I I really do love connecting, at least online, I love connecting with people. In person, it might be a different story. That might make me a little squeamish, but online, sure, I love connecting with people and hearing their stories. Yeah, I I love to connect with people as well. But I, I do sort of check people out first and make sure they're not going to, you know, I don't know, make sure they're OK. Make sure we have some mutual friends and stuff. <laughs> make sure they're not the author of the cult trilogy series. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding, Dan. You're my friend. <laughs> Everyone no, no, friend that's unless you're writing, unless you're spamming. The problem with writing a book about a cult is, is you know, they have a negative connotation and it's kind of a dark subject. So right. so as, as much as the books are. Very interesting. Most people who read them say they're page turners. They can't put them down and they get something from them when they're done reading them. You know, the, the overall topic can be dark and therefore it's it's a little bit of a hard sell sometimes. Have you done an audio version of those books? You know, I have, yes. Uh, Bill Cooper, he worked in radio. He was a veteran of radio uh, out of Portland, Oregon. He has done audio versions of both uh, the first two a train call forgiveness and at the crossing of justice and mercy. And he is planning on doing the third as well. Once I get back from the editor and, and do the final rewrite. 
Yeah, so anybody with those Audible credits, go check out the Cult Trilogy series. Hey, yeah. anybody with <laughs> Audible credits, go check out podcasting through collaboration, Podcasting Good to Great, which is written and now is available in audio for Mr. Jared Easley. Yeah, that, that happened this week, Dan. I was pretty proud of All that. Right. So I got my book up in Audible. So it felt like a Melissa Wilson kind of win. <laughs> cool. Moment, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and it's so much easier to get our books published and get them into audio format. It's a whole new world. But then there's a lot of competition that wasn't there 20 years ago, too. Yeah, that's the humbling part. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, the book's there, but nobody's buying it. Oh, oh well, well. that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> so, Dan, one day at a time. Now that we've yeah. taken a nice little side tangent, let's yeah. start to wrap up here. Who's doing something that interests you? Oh, who's doing something that interests me? Uh, Besides me, Jared, or Melissa? <laughs> well, you can name them. Well, you know, I like what um, I like what the minimalists and Joshua Becker are doing. Uh, Joshua becoming minimalist. I like the small house movement, the tiny houses or tiny, I think it's tinyhouse.com or there's tumbleweedhouse.com. Those things interest me because I think as a culture and as a society, we need to begin to think about the resources we're using and how big we're living. And we need to learn how to live our lives for life rather than for stuff. And so the blogs that are talking about minimalism and downsizing really are something I'm interested in a lot right now. So, Dan, what is the best place for the listeners to connect with you online? Well, I'd say either Twitter or Facebook. My Facebook is Dan Erickson 14 and my Twitter is Dan Erickson 8. All right. <laughs> so if you start getting strange friend requests, Dan. Uh, you know I'll know where they came. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to scout them out, Melissa style. <laughs> so. Hey, Dan, so do you have any final thoughts for the listeners today? You know, yeah, my final thoughts would be when it comes to things that have harmed us in our lives and in the past and along our trail, we need to be willing to forgive and we need to be willing to let go and let things kind of, you know, work out on their own. You know, and that's kind of my overall thought about this social media, too. I'm, I'm not quite, you know, feel the dreams, build it and they will come. But yet I don't push too hard. I think we need to let things forgive and let things naturally take place as, as they will. Dan, I really appreciate your advice. Best wishes to you and the upcoming book and just all the cool things you've got going on. We appreciate your time today. And Melissa, thank you for guest co-hosting. My pleasure. All right. Thank you, Jared and uh, Kamanzi and, and Melissa. <laughs> I think that when we are willing to let go a little bit on how strict we are, we free ourselves up to do more. It's kind of that minimalist ideology. You let yourself go a little bit and not worry about things as much, and you give yourself more time and freedom to accomplish what you'd like to accomplish.